0: Endless hallelujah to your holy name. There's some lines and some worship songs that just give you goosebumps across your arms when you sing them. And I stand in the back, and that one sure did that. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. My name's Aaron. I'm the teaching pastor here at Living Oak Columbus. And so we're thankful for those that are in the room. Uh, the phrase we've used the past several weeks is there's nothing better than being in the room. But we're also grateful for those of you tuning in online, listening to our podcast or on the radio uh, as well. Well, hey, we're starting a new series today that we're calling Asking for a Friend. And so we're taking just a short little break uh, from our Philippians series, which we call Joyful. We got through 36 verses in 10 weeks. And so we just took a slow walk through Philippians. And uh, this morning, we're just taking a little break from that. And then we'll come back to Philippians in August and continue that journey for a couple months. We'll take some breaks throughout And uh, eventually, we'll get through the book of Philippians. But for now, uh, we gave you guys the option a couple weeks ago to submit questions, questions about the Bible, culture, um, anything like that, so that we can do our best to frame things in with a biblical worldview. Uh, We want the Bible to inform everything that we do. And so we want to frame things in biblically. And uh, we've got about six weeks worth of questions lined up right now. And feel free to submit more of those via your communication card in that bulletin that you uh, received today. But today we're talking about, man, it's it's a touchy subject for some people. It's the idea of don't judge me. All right, and uh, we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But let's read from Matthew 7 this morning. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 6. And Jesus says these words, "'Do not judge so that you won't be judged, "'for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, "'and you will be measured by the same measure you use.' Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces let's pray jesus thanks again for your word father i pray today jesus as we walk through what can be a touchy and often misunderstood idea that jesus that you would extend an extra measure of grace today father that your spirit would work in our hearts lord that we would be open and vulnerable to what you want to teach us today God, give us the ears we need to hear, hearts to receive your word clearly, and hands and feet to live this out as we pursue Jesus with our entire beings this week. Father, we love you. Thanks for the privilege that today is. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love stories, and I heard a story this week of a young couple that moved into a new neighborhood over a weekend. And that very first Monday of living into this new neighborhood, they were sitting in their kitchen, eating breakfast together when the wife, this young lady, happened to look out the side window of their home and she saw their neighbor who was hanging their wash. You guys remember when people used to do that? Some still do. But she was hanging her wash out on the line to let everything dry. And this wife, she looked out and saw her neighbor doing that and she looked at her husband and she goes, my goodness, that laundry is not very clean. Obviously, that lady has no idea how to wash clothes correctly. Maybe she needs better laundry soap or somebody to teach her how to actually wash laundry. Well, her husband just sat there quietly like most men do and just listened to what his wife said, nodding his head in agreement. The very next morning, they were sitting there eating breakfast. And again, that lady was outside hanging more clothes on the line. And the wife said the exact same thing. I cannot believe how dirty her laundry is. Does she have no idea how to wash clothes? And for the next several days, it was like, like that, that scene just keep, kept repeating itself over and over. Where this neighbor would hang her wash, the wife would make that same statement that she doesn't know how to do laundry, and the husband would just sit there quietly listening as he heard his wife just judging this woman's ability to actually wash clothing. Well, about one month later, they woke up. It was a Monday morning, and they sat to their normal spot to have breakfast, and they looked out, and there was the neighbor again hanging the wash. But this time, what came out of the wife's mouth was actually different because when she looked out to the line, she noticed that that laundry was all clean this time. Everything was glistening white as it was flowing through the wind. And she looked at her husband and she said, my goodness, that lady finally, after a month of washing clothes and hanging them on the line, she finally learned how to wash laundry correctly. I wonder who taught her how to do that. To which the husband leaned back in his chair and he said, Actually, I got up early this morning and washed our windows. (laughs) Feel free to use that tomorrow morning at work. I want to talk this morning about judging other people. What do we do with that concept, that idea, that thing that we've all engaged in? We've all been in a conversation before with somebody that abruptly ended with one or both parties uttering that three-word phrase, don't judge me. Perhaps you've been in a conversation with somebody and quickly the other person or maybe even you yourself said, "Uh, doesn't the Bible say don't judge lest you be judged? You ever notice when we quote Bible verses out of context, we tend to use the King James for some reason? Who says lest anymore? Don't judge lest you be judged. Or maybe you've been engaged in a conversation, a discussion, or in an argument with somebody, and you leave that situation, and you've said these words maybe, I just felt like they were judging me. What do we do with this idea biblically of judging other people? Because I think, and part of the reason that I think this question was asked is there's so much misunderstanding surrounding this idea, and if the Bible talks about it, we don't want to run from it, we don't want to misunderstand it, I want us to run to it and attack this head first. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning, I'm telling you, if you're a note taker, I hope that you take notes. Can we judge other people? Can we judge other people? And if we can, how do we actually do it correctly? What's the purpose of of judging another person if we can actually pull this off and do it the right way? There's so many questions, and I want us to find answers. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 is a section of scriptures. It's six verses we're looking at this morning that we just read that comes towards the end of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was the longest recorded sermon or message that we have Jesus delivering while he was in his physical body. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, is the reason we call it the Sermon on the Mount, is because Jesus actually delivered this to a crowd of people while sitting up on a hillside. And from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, three chapters, Jesus basically covers 19 different topics in this one sermon. All right, so this is probably pretty long. We're several hours likely that Jesus is is speaking this thing. Good thing you weren't part of Jesus's church back then. All right, you'd have missed the buffet line. But in these verses today that I want us to really dive in on is Jesus specifically and clearly and very pointedly talks about this idea of judging other people. Three things I want us to talk through today. Let's start with this. Let's talk about common misunderstandings, common misunderstandings. Look at verse one with me again. We're going to pause here for just a few moments. Jesus says these words, do not judge. Do not judge so that or lest, if you're a King James reader, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Traditionally, when you hear somebody talk about this idea or quote this verse or really even have a conversation about what it means to judge somebody else, they actually typically stop at the first few verses or the first few words of Matthew 7 verse 1, do not judge. I watched a news broadcast this week where the news anchor, the news reporter, was interviewing a pastor, and literally within just a minute or two of being in this interview as they're having this back and forth dialogue, the the news reporter, this news anchor fired off those classic words, doesn't the Bible say, do not judge? And from a surface level, if that's where we stop is on those three words, we would probably all agree with that statement. We would agree with those first three words, do not judge. But when we continue our journey through these six verses, what we're actually going to find is that judging other people, now hear me, some of y'all are going to hear this, you're going to be like, you're the meanest, all right? We're going to find out that judging other people is necessary and it's helpful. Now, if we only stop on do not judge, that statement I just make could be incredibly offensive. But when we actually journey through the scriptures and we seek to understand things in context and and understand them rightly, we actually see that judging people is necessary and it's incredibly helpful. Because think about this. What if the Bible really did forbid judging completely? Because that's often where we camp is do not judge. What What if we just stopped there? What would happen culturally to us? Think about court systems. Christians could not support the court system whatsoever if if we could not judge anybody. You ever thought about that? Because criminals would commit crimes and then we would not be allowed to judge them because Jesus said so. But here's the reality. Crimes need to be judged, don't they? That's important. We want criminals to actually be judged for their actions because that's how you have a, a good and right society. Judging is important in the court system. Think about this. Did you know that every day, hopefully, when you send your child to school in the fall, They're going to be judged by their teachers. That's good. If my daughter thinks two plus two equals five, I want want her teacher to judge her and tell her she's wrong and correct her actions. That's good, and that's helpful, and that's right. When you go to work, wherever you work, whatever you do, you probably have a boss that judges you. Do you know why they do that if they do it the right way? Because they want you to get better. They want you to actually be part of the culture of your work environment and work towards a common mission collectively with every other employee. Judging in that case is helpful because there's wrong things that need to be right. There's error that needs to be corrected to truth. When judging is done properly, It actually serves as a form of good correction. So let's define some terms, and then we're going to look very specifically at Jesus' words here. Judging. If you're a note taker, write this down. Judging done improperly is self-righteous criticism. I'm sure we've all experienced that before. Judging when done improperly is self-righteous criticism. That's not what Jesus is encouraging us to do here. In fact, Jesus speaks out against self-righteous criticism. Judging when done wrong defames somebody's character. It backs them up into a corner with the whole goal of destroying who they are. Jesus does not encourage that. That's not what he's talking about here. That's what the Pharisees did throughout the New Testament. The Pharisees engaged in self-righteous criticism, which we would call judging other people. And Jesus condemns that. You can see over and over, if if you want to look this up later, Matthew chapter 15. You see where the Pharisees tried to do this with the disciples. They would try to discourage them, discredit them, and defame their character, doing it all from a heart of self-righteousness. In Matthew chapter 15, actually, let's just turn there real quick. It'll just take a second. Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to start reading it while you turn there. Verse 1. It says, Jesus was approached by the Pharisees and the scribes. Those were the religious leaders, teachers of the day, if you're unfamiliar with that term. And they asked him this, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Notice the word tradition. It was a tradition held by the church leaders. Here's what it was. For they don't wash their hands when they eat. This was pre-corona, obviously. <laughs> the disciples just come rolling up into the restaurant, and they're like, we don't have to wash our hands. They wipe them on their, their pants, and they just go to town, and they just start eating. Notice what Jesus says. Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. He says, for God said, verse 4, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of your father and your mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father and mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. Let me wrap this all up for us real quick. Here's what the Pharisees were doing. It was the role and the privilege of somebody to take care of their parents. But what the Pharisees would do is they would take the financial sum that they should have used to actually take care of their parents. They would take that sum and they would give it back to the temple. Well, what was given to the temple was for the benefit of the Pharisees. So they were kind of skirting around the issue. They'd say, oh, you know what? Goodness, I need to take this $250, and I actually need to give it to my mom and dad who are sick and dying, and they need help, and they need care that they deserve. But actually, because of God, I'm going to take this money, and I'm actually going to put it back in the temple because because God. What would happen? That $250 would just go around circle back to them. They were living from a place of self-righteousness and they come to the disciples and they say, wait, hold up a second. We got a tradition that says you got to wash your hands before you eat. How come you're not doing that? And Jesus goes, bro, chill out. You're taking money meant for your parents and you're just kind of doing a little bit of like some not good things and you're just wrapping that money around. So it comes back to you. What were they doing? Judging the disciples from a place of self-righteousness. You ever heard that phrase, be careful when you point fingers because there's three more pointing back at you? That's what was going on here. And Jesus just straight calls them out. Friends, judgment from self-righteousness is evil, and it's not helpful. But when we continue to read verses 2 through 6, we actually see that there's a form of judging that's helpful, it's profitable, it's something we should engage with and in, and done properly, here's what good biblical judging is. Ready? Ready? loving correction that's what Jesus encourages good biblical judging of another person is loving correction when done properly it's a great thing how's this work out point number two right understanding let me read these real quick because I want us to to paint this scenario for us but I want to refresh our minds let's jump down to verse uh, 3 why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye and you don't notice that there's a beam of wood in your own How can you say to your brother, you take out the splinter from your eye? Jesus says, but look, you're saying that, but there's this beam sticking out of yours. What does Jesus call them? Hypocrite. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite, do we? We hate that word. It means that you're not practicing what you say you believe. So what's Jesus's encouragement? Take the beam out of your eye, and then what? Then you're going to see clearly to do what? Go tell your brother about his splinter. Jesus does not condemn the act of loving correction that is judgment. He encourages it once we deal with ourselves. He tells us to go and do it once we deal with ourselves. So let's walk through this scenario. We're going to paint this this picture. Two individuals of some kind. that have some kind of a a relationship together. Notice, again, Jesus is not condemning them. He encourages them to judge one another in verse 5. But first, got to deal with ourselves. Hey, can I make a little side note? As a Christian... You should actually run towards judgment in your life. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. You should run towards it, not from it. You should actually welcome judgment in your life, and I'm going to explain why here in just a second. God's going to use that in your life to correct you, to love you, to grow you, to form you, and to mold you. You need judgment in your life. It helps me grow personally, but also in unity with my church. So let's paint this picture. I told Pastor Joe he had to join me up here today. This is, he's my guinea pig, all right? (laughs) So let's say me and Joe, we have a relationship, obviously. If you didn't know that, we've been friends for a while now. He's one of my best friends. And let's say that, that I notice through our relationship, Joe and I spend four or five days a week together, in most cases, eight plus hours a day. So we're pretty good friends. We're pretty close. He calls me all the time, just like random things that I didn't need to know about, but he just calls and tells me. That's just... It'll be like 10.30 at night. My phone will ring. I'm thinking it's an emergency. I pick it up. I'm like, what's going on? Dude, you're not going to believe the groundhog I just saw. I go back inside, and Liz is like, who was that? I was like, it's Joe. She's like, is everything okay? Yeah, he saw (laughs) a groundhog. I don't know. That's just the relationship that we have. So let's say that I notice, and again, we're going to use some lighthearted illustrations because I want us to see this. Let's say, and this is not true. Let's say that Pastor Joe, he he has this ongoing sin struggle with lying. Let's say it's just something he struggles with, and he's just been dealing with this for several months, and Joe's got got a lying problem. So let's take Jesus' illustration. He's my brother, and he's got a... You can see that. If you're, if you're listening to the podcast, you need to go to YouTube and find this so you understand what we got going on. But uh, he's got this splinter that he's dealing with. Don't put it in your eye. That's dangerous. <laughs> All right. So Jesus says in, 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 verse, in these verses here, he says, So i got a brother who's got a sin problem, and he's got a splinter that he's dealing with. But, but look again with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus says, Why, why are you looking at the splinter in your brother's eye? When actually, you have a beam of wood sticking out of your own eye. So, let's think of it this way. Joe's got his splinter, and I've got my beam of wood I'm dealing with. Hey, side note again, these are free lessons. These things just kind of feel like the Holy Spirit teaches me. You know, we all got junk we struggle with. You know that? In the church, you don't have to be perfect. Right? The phrase is, nobody walks alone. It's okay if you got junk. You don't have to put on your Sunday best every time you come here. If you got struggles, you can tell people. You can tell us. Joe walked into the office this morning. He said, how you doing, man? I said, I'm okay. First thing he said to me was not, okay, cool. He said, what does that mean? It's okay to have junk and talk about it with other Christians. All right. So don't feel like you have to, to hide from that stuff. So let's pretend this morning Joe's got his splinter. He's struggling with lying. I got my junk over here, which we're going to get here in just a second. This morning I was reading my Bible, Proverbs chapter 12. I came across verse 22. Here's what a self-righteous person does. When you read your Bible, you read it for the benefit of somebody else and not you. Think about that. When you struggle with self-righteousness, it means you're reading scripture passages and you're always thinking so-and-so could use this instead of saying, Jesus, what do you want to do in me through this? That's self-righteousness. Be careful of that. I read Proverbs 12, verse 22. It'll be on our screen here. Here's what it says. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. If I struggle with self-righteous judgment, you know what I would think to myself? My goodness, Joe needs that. Joe needs to deal with that. You know what I'm going to do? Log still in full effect in my eye. Plank sticking out of my eye. I'm going to run to Joe. I'm going to see him at the office that morning. I'm going to run up to him and say, Joe, dude, I was reading Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, and it said, do not lie.' And I've noticed that you need to struggle, you struggle with lying. You need to get over that and deal with it because that's a sin problem that you, you have going on. And I walk away. You see, that's the posture the Pharisees often took. How dare they do that? Your disciples struggle with that. Them, 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 them. All the while, I got my beam. And at that point, Joe really has two options. A mature Christian, honestly, might say, you know what, you're right. This is an issue for me. But let's be honest again. Some of us still have a long way to maturity, myself included. And we talked about this, we've talked about this throughout Philippians. When somebody comes against me with an accusation, some sort of disharmony or disunity, where do we always run to, self-preservation? It's the condition of the human heart. We want to preserve ourselves when I feel attacked. If I feel like somebody's condemning me, I'm going to preserve me. That's typically what's going to happen if you approach somebody in a self-righteous manner to judge them. So what would Joe's likely response be? He'd probably say, are you serious? Like, are you kidding me, Aaron? Because I've, I've, man, I've been in these scenarios before. Somebody confronts me on a sin. Let's say I confront Joe on his lying. He might turn around and go, are you serious? Again, this isn't true. He's going to say, I've actually noticed that you've been neglecting your wife and kids recently. That you've just allowed yourself to get busy so much so that you're hiding behind work to cover up tensions that are present in your marriage. And you're breaking commands in Ephesians 5 by doing that. What happens in that moment? I self-righteously attacked him. He self-righteously attacks me back. Disunity, fighting, broken relationships, disharmony in the church. A false witness to the community because the body of Christ is no longer representing Jesus. What does Jesus encourage us to do in these verses? Look again. you got a splinter in your brother's eye, but you got a beam of wood in your own. What if we redid this scenario? What if this morning I was reading Proverbs 12, but I was reading for me. I wanted Jesus to do what work in me. When you do your Bible reading every day, you listen to our podcast, whatever it looks like for you, hey, a great prayer to start with is Jesus change me today. And as I'm reading Proverbs 12, it's not wrong that I may read that and know that my friend struggles with that. And immediately, I might think, you know what? I wonder if Joe has read this. That's okay, and we can do that. Because I love him, I tell him these things. But what did Jesus tell us to do in verse 2, and verse 3, verse 4? Make sure you take the log out of your own eye first. Whatever you're struggling with, you deal with first. I want to talk to him about this verse, but I'm going to deal with Aaron first. So what am I going to do? I'm going to hit my knees, and I'm going to ask Jesus to reveal any unconfessed sin that I have in my life. I'm going to tell you something. Every day there's something. And if I'm walking closely with Jesus, you know what I'm going to know? Hey, man, think about this too. You know you know the sins you're struggling with. But too often, we try to conceal them from ourselves. Right now, I could come to you and I could say, what's that one thing you're dealing with? And y'all, without missing a beat, you would know. But we sometimes have tricked and convinced ourselves that there's nothing we need to deal with. That's not true. We've all got something. And so as I'm sitting there with with Proverbs 12 open, I'm going to begin to ask Jesus, Lord, is there anything in my heart that would prevent me from lovingly going to my brother and talking about Proverbs 12 with them? you know what Jesus would probably reveal to me because I would already know it's an issue? Like we said a minute ago, that maybe I got an issue with my wife, that I've been neglecting her and my family. And so I'd claim 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sins, Jesus is faithful and he's just, he'll forgive me and he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You know what I'd do in that moment? I'd get up off my knees and I'd do something about my sin problem and I'd go find my wife and I'd apologize to her. And I'd say, baby, I've been neglecting you I've been ignoring you. Would you go on a date with me this weekend so that we can work towards mending and restoring what I have broken? You know what I then have freedom to do because I'm cleansed because of Jesus, according to 1 John 1.9? When I get to the office that day, I can actually go to my friend and I can say, Joe, man, I've observed this for a few weeks. I've noticed that Proverbs 12 is something that you and I need to work on together because I've seen this in your life. And I think we could walk through this together. Notice the posture change. Joe, you need to deal with this. To Joe, what if we did this together? What if we walked through this together? What if we journeyed through this sin problem together? Joe, again, has two responses in that moment. Response number one is this. Okay, you're right. I do need to deal with this. That's what a mature Christian would do, but sometimes we don't always run there. That's okay. We run to self-preservation. What if Joe looked at me in that moment, and he said, Aaron... (laughs) Are you serious right now? How dare you come against me with that accusation, that correction? Because I've noticed in your life that your and Elizabeth's relationship is struggling. And before you come talk to me, why don't you deal with your own stuff? What if I could look at my friend and say, actually, you know what? I did this morning. And I actually went to my wife and I confessed that sin I talked to Jesus about it, 1 John 1, 9 says I'm cleansed, and we're actually going to go on a date this Friday. And I dealt with that before I came and talked to you. You know what I do in that scenario instantly? I disarm the tension. Because my posture changed to my friend. No longer was I approaching him. You're good, man, thank you. No longer was I approaching him with a self-righteous accusation. But instead, I changed my posture and I came to my friend with loving correction, having taken the plank out of my own eye first. You see, there's a way that we can judge people and do it in a right way that actually benefits both parties. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 actually says this, do everything in love. Heard that verse before? When my motive for judgment, you can use the word correction if you want. When my motive is love, for my friends, love for my family, it disarms and changes the outcome of the engagement. Because I deal with me before I deal with us in you. Changes the game. So let's look at one, one more thing, correct usage, and then we're gonna be done. We're going to look at verse 6 in just just a moment, and we'll come wrapping around to that. I want to try to, like, button all of this up, and you may still have questions about this topic, and we can talk about this afterwards if if you feel that's necessary. But there's going to be a difference, too, when we judge other people between inside and outside the church. This is an important distinction that I think some Christians miss. This is very important, so I want you to, to tune into this. Outside the church. So if you're a Jesus follower, your relationship to those outside the church, hear me, you do not judge them. It's not allowed. That's Jesus' job, John 16, verse 8. He'll take care of that. Jesus will judge those outside the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 says this. Paul wrote, what business of it is mine to judge outsiders? He says, don't you judge those on the inside. Judgment begins in the house of God. We have freedom to judge one another, but not those outside the church. But here's what we do as Christians. We don't judge people, but we still remain lighthouses and outposts of truth in the midst of dark culture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12 talks about that. We are the light of the world, city on a hill. We are salt in the earth, salt and light. That's what we do. We are outposts of truth in a dark world. Secondly, we don't judge people, but we still proclaim the gospel to them. Matthew 28, verse 19. We still proclaim the gospel to people. We let the gospel do its complete work in people's hearts and their lives. It's not up to us to judge them. We're going to let Jesus do that against the backdrop of the gospel. Listen, this is me, so I want to hear this. I've seen too many Christians get frustrated when the world doesn't follow the scriptures. What do we expect them to do? You can't expect those who don't know Christ to adapt, conform, and follow the ways of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. They're not going to. I've never walked in my front yard, seen birds chirping in my tree and go, those dumb birds, how dare they chirp? I expected them to bark. We don't do that. Why? Because it's in their nature to chirp. Look at Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's in the nature of an unbeliever to do things that are contrary to Scripture. That's why we remain outposts of truth and gospel proclaimers. You can never expect somebody to live for Jesus until their heart has been changed by Jesus. If all we do is behavioral modification, we're just sending people to hell while they're living relatively good lives. It's not what we want. We want Jesus to change their hearts, and in changing their hearts, that will overflow to how people live. So don't get frustrated with the world around us. That's just how they're going to be. Let's just preach Jesus. Let's stand on truth and let God do his work. Let's be good citizens. Now, think about this. What do we do inside the church? What do we do inside the church? We judge the fire out of each other. What? We need to judge the fire out of each other in the church. Why? Because if there's things wrong in your life that is keeping you from pursuing Jesus, I need to tell you. And we need to talk about it. If there's things going on in my life that is keeping this church from being unified to be a a proper testimony to the community in which God has called us to minister, I would hope that you would tell me and that we would talk about it and we would walk through it together because I wanna chase Jesus with my whole being, but I definitely have blind spots that I'm unaware of sometimes. I got things that I've convinced myself are okay that I need other friends to speak into my life. Think about this. When you drive your car, why do you have mirrors right here in the center and two on the side? Because while you're focused in going forward, there's things that sometimes you can miss, that you need a mirror to tell you about. That's your friends and brothers and sisters in Jesus. They're the mirrors. They're the side view and the rear view mirror to help keep you on track. We need to judge each other in the church, but we do it from a right posture of love. Love. I deal with me, then I deal with you. Friends, don't run from judging other Christians. That's typically what we're going to think. Well, if i got to deal with me first, I don't want to do that because then I'm going to have to have those awkward conversations with people in my church. Run towards it. Run towards it. You've never experienced true intimacy and relationship with Jesus until you're willing to be vulnerable with another person who loves Jesus too. Let people speak truth into your life and judge you. It's helpful. Hey, last thing and we're done. You know, sometimes when um, we are outposts of truth and we're standing for truth in the midst of culture, let's go back to judging those outside the church, which we shouldn't do, but we're going to stand on truth. Hey, be ready to be criticized, spoken ill against. Be ready for those things to come your way. It's happened to me more than once. I'm sure it's happened to you. Because notice verse six, and this is where we'll land. What did Jesus say? Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs because they're gonna trample them under their feet. They're gonna turn, they're gonna tear you to pieces. What's he talking about there? In this culture, it was very common for dogs to be wild. Pigs are just scavengers, we all know that. You throw a string of pearls in with a group of pigs, what are they gonna do? They're not gonna look at it and go, oh, that looks pretty, they're gonna eat it. That's what pigs do. Dogs, during this time, they were scavengers. They just consumed everything. What's the lesson for us? Sometimes we need to stand as outposts of truth in the midst of dark culture. You're going to be attacked. It's going to happen. And then Jesus just tells us there's sometimes going to be those occasions where you just let them attack you, you pack up your things, and you move on. Don't get in unnecessary arguments. Don't be the troll on Facebook that's arguing on every Fox News post. You don't need to do any of that junk. We are outposts of truth. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 10, that sometimes you're going to give the gospel, and they're just going to ravage it. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, when you hit those occasions, just kick the dust off. Just move on. Outpost of truth. You let him do the judging. We judge inside the church. We take care of it there. Friends, if you have ever experienced judgment before that hurts you, Can I tell you, on behalf of the church universal, I am so sorry. Because I think this verse has been misused by Christians through the ages to do some of the most harmful things to Christians. Where self-righteous individuals feel they have the place and position to condemn and criticize and destroy people. That's not Jesus Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And you know when another brother or sister lovingly, lovingly comes to you to deal with sin and you have the weight of sin lifted off your shoulders finally, the rest that that brings because you're close to Jesus again, I hope Living Hope Columbus is a place where you can always find that. Let me pray for us as our praise team comes. Jesus, thank you so much for this day, for your word. And I pray in the midst of what could be a foggy passage that clarity was brought today. Father, if there's anything that, that came from my mouth that was unclear, I pray that your spirit would translate it to clarity this morning. And that, Father, most of all, that this would just draw us into a deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with Jesus. Lord, use this passage, Father, to draw us together as brothers and sisters that make up this local church. Father, we'd chase Jesus together, pursue Jesus together and want to see one another closer to Jesus than ever before. Thanks for your word, Lord. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.